Hello and welcome to Explain Conversations. But first, introduce yourself. I'm Ezra. I'm Ruby. I'm Mark. And I'm Sudden. That's cute intro. It's episode five for our casual chat and apologetics theology during church or whatever that it is. But as always, um, what are we going to talk about today? I'm not sure if you heard of this thing called progressive Christianity, but it seems that the term becomes more popular today, especially when we associate the church with social and political progressions like the LGBTQ plus movement, critical race theory, feminism liberalism and more but the term can be theological and on that part i'll leave it to ezra to explain further okay um thanks ruby so um elisa childers um a christian rock singer turned apologist uh she's also a theologian she wrote this very intensive literature uh called another gospel uh, which we can get out at amazon or uh whichever online bookstores are there uh in this literature, she kind of exposed what progressive Christianity seems to look like. And uh, maybe for Mark Cernan, uh, for our listeners of every social leanings would have heard of this term. But um, frankly speaking, according to Alyssa Childers, there seems to be more damage done by progressive Christianity. And it's because if we have heard of postmodernism, it's basically what progressive Christianity is. Is like postmodernism underneath this masquerade of the Christian faith. So what they do is they deny the infallibility of the scripture. Uh, they tend to look at the word outside of the original context and prefer such a subjective and pragmatic perspective to the Christian faith. So that means uh, whatever that works, even if it's taken from another religion or philosophy um, and in spite of uh if the scripture disagrees to it, they still take it. Um, see, the core idea of progressive Christianity is that a huge part of the scripture is fallible. It's outdated. And uh, the only sayings uh, that matter is the sayings of Jesus. So that is the infallible expect of the word of God. So apart from that, it's just emptiness. It's just nothing. Um, so I like to hear what do you guys have in mind about this. And uh, by the way, just a disclaimer: I'm I'm a confessional Christian here, uh, which means I believe that the Scripture is infallible, it's relevant, it's the ultimate authority and the ultimate revelation that dictates and discards any forms of knowledge and wisdom of this world. So yeah, um, over to you guys. So I'm gonna be the first uh, uh, one. I'm gonna be the first guy that will draw the line on the sand and just basically say this. If you're a progressive Christian, you better double check to see whether your Christianity is authentic. And when you, and for a progressive Christian, you're going to find that uh, it's going to be quite difficult to test the authenticity of your, of your Christianity for a few reasons. Number one is um, <clears throat> you will be basing on how authentic your Christianity is not by the truth of the gospel, but by your moral fruits. So your moral fruits will come first and foremost. And that's very dangerous, okay? Because anyone 
who has the image of God can display moral fruits. But only those who understand the gospel in its fullness will be able to know the truth. Now, Barna Group actually had a very interesting survey done among the Gen Z community around the world regarding to their Christianity and their religion. And here's one thing that they did find out that is quite interesting. In the past, all our moral applications is based on the gospel truth. The death, resurrection of Jesus Christ has implications of which how we should live. The applications will vary from place to place and from time to time. So, for example, in a country where women's rights are, lim are limited or they are being opposed or oppressed, then, of course, the egalitarian approach seems, uh, uh, seems helpful. But when it comes to a place where it is highly feminist, overly to the point where men are actually being shamed purely just by their gender, the gospel truth will then tell us, okay, there's a place, there's an environment which requires a complementarian a approach, meaning to say that men ought to pick up the responsibility as is according to the scriptures. This may vary, and you will find different denominations actually having very different applications. But what they do promise is that they go, they go at it based on the gospel truth. Now, coming to Gen Z and progressive Christianity, as they will call it, it is upside down. It is topsy-turvy. What has happened is that the, instead of doing more applications that's based on the truth, the truth has to be authenticated by moral by the moral standards which they put. So what that means is that uh, you can bear the you can tell the truth about what really happened in Israel and all the sins and so on and so forth and how the law is, and how the law is supreme. The law was the only way they can actually find these people guilty. But when you bring it over to the 21st century and you say, look, we have different more applications now and we see the truth that is in scripture and we say, you know what? That's not applicable anymore. You know, and the LGBTQ question, the uh, the women leadership question, the uh, the question, the, uh, the, the question which uh, which pertains to um, uh, allowing people who may not necessarily believe in Jesus, but allow them to participate in leadership of a church. Where, so therefore, the church no longer becomes uh, a, a, a collective of believers. They actually end up becoming a clubhouse where people will go on the principle of Christianity rather than the confession of Christianity. Now, what does that sound like to any of us? That is fundamentally postmodernism. Postmodernism, where the idea is that all truth is hanging up in the air. The truth is defined by you. Now, of course, that very statement itself is not a postmodern statement. Because that means the truth is anchored somewhere, which postmodernism seeks to defy. But of course, he who he who expresses the idea that uh, uh, that truth can the truth is relative to the person might as well be building up palaces in thin air. So you're going to find a lot of issues uh, in progressive Christianity where they was, but they will end up pointing. Look, look at what we're doing. Look at all the good that we're doing. But what defined their good in the first place? They define the good which ends up being a very messy situation. So you, uh, and therefore what you end up finding is that they will not really take seriously what Jesus says. And that ends up becoming a very dangerous position to be in. Oh yeah, that's very true.
and I think, and, and ju just a bit of comment uh, to, to what Ezra said earlier uh, re regarding uh, liberal, liberal Christians' uh, view on Jesus' saying that really matters. I, I think here's the ironic thing, you know, which Mark sort of pointed out. You know, the, the, the irony of all this is that all that, a lot of what Jesus said doesn't matter, which in fact is quite true because I think, actually, I, I think, I, I believe Mark would agree with me and all of you would also agree with me that it's a bit too generous to say uh, they believe only the sayings of Jesus matter. I think in actual fact, what really, what really matters for them is Jesus' sayings that actually conform to the very moral standards which they are seeking to expound and push forward. Like, for example, uh, when, when we look at the LGBT community today, well, a lot of them, they would claim to be Christians. And, of, and guess what? You know, their favorite quotations would, their, their favorite quote from the Gospels is either definitely for God so loved the world. Yes, that's true. We don't, we don't deny that. Okay. It, and that's, and then secondly, we have, uh, we, we, we have something from the gospel of Matthew, like judge not least ye be judged. And of course, again, they, they take that sentence, that statement from Jesus and, and make it, make it sound like it's, it's the most infallible word which Jesus has, have ever spoken. And so that becomes number one of, that becomes number one, uh, you know, in terms of ranking of what Jesus said, because they leave out the rest of, rest of the verses altogether. So, so the point of all this is that they deny the lordship of Christ completely. You know, by taking some of it, you know, some of what some of what Jesus said, some some of the things that sound nice, some of the things that conforms to their very ideologies, and ironically, in doing that, you know they are actually denying his lordship simply because you can't, you, you can't be obeying half of what the person say. And while disregarding the other half of what that person say. So in saying all this, you see, they are, they are trumping and throwing up all of the fullness of God's revelation out of the table, which, which leads me to my next point, uh, how they treat uh, the fullness of God's revelation. You, you will see a very common trend among the liberal Christians is such that they take God's revelation, they take some of it, they take parts of it, and, you know, it's either that or they skew some of it and part of it to fit all that agenda, not just the New Testament. In fact, even within the Old Testament, you see, and that is why, uh, what Ezra said was correct. You know, at the end of the day, they deny the infallibility of Scripture. You see, by by skewing all these things, they are already say they are already in in their action saying, "Hey, uh, it's not infallible." Of course, they don't outrightly say it. You know, neither would they confess it. But you know, from their from the things they say, from the teachings they expound, from the from their actions, you know, we, we can see all these things surfacing up. And the most dangerous part of all this, okay, is that there is an emotional appeal through moral actions. There's a, there's a very emotional appeal through moral actions. Because let's face it, 
we live in a fallen world. And when we see good deeds happening, even I myself as Christian, as a Christian, as a pastor, you know, we we feel some sort of emotional wellness by seeing uh, you know, people helping people. You know, for example, let's say when you see someone paying it forward, you know, you feel very warm, you feel as if the world is getting better. But at the end of the day, it does not quite answer the dilemma of, of the human of human sinfulness. So, so there is a kind of a emotional appeal through moral actions, which, which I believe we, we will talk more about it later. Let me give you a very um, uh, common example as, of how this scenario breaks up. Okay? So the progressive Christians will uh, go by one of their most favorite verses will be John 15 verse 17, which is a new command I give unto you that you should love one another. Okay, love one another. Okay, yeah, it sounds great. And they will go by the simple fact that, you know what, that's what Jesus had. Jesus has called us to say this. They got called us to live it out. Jesus said so. But of course, then we tell them, okay, what about I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? You know, um, uh, work out your salvation with, uh, 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 work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that works in you to both do his good will and good pleasure. To which they say, oh, those other passages will have issues and we're not really sure as to how authentic those passages are. But if we are not sure as to how authentic those passages are, how then are we sure about John 15, 17, which is what they, which is what they are seeking to expound on, that you should love one another just as I have loved you. To which then they will say, oh, can't you see the moral basis of it? It, it seems universal enough, doesn't it? Aha! So we catch them already in the position in that, uh, in that that they are not obeying the verse because it's what God says so. Rather, they are using the verse to license their methodology or their approach to faith. To their approach to faith, and from there they may seem upfront very uniform in movement, but actually they are very much disoriented disoriented in the, in terms of their truth and worldview. Uh, and this, you will find how the, the way they apply the verses is really, uh, it, you, you might as well, you, you might as well ask the fundamentalist to, to use the verse in the Bible where it says that, worship me and I will give you the whole earth. For those of you who don't know who said that, the devil said that to Jesus when he's uh, uh, on the mountain, says, I will give you this whole earth if you worship me. But because it said so nicely, should we then use it and, and use it as a moral theological point of view? No. <laughs> the Bible has its context. The Bible has its, has its precepts. The Bible then has a, has a very firm anchor on the reality that is the truth. And that, uh, and, and that is where the progressive Christianity actually are uh, on very shaky, shaky ground. Yeah, but can we also give a bit of shout out to Serna because he, uh, he's been speaking on this. He's been uh, doing some, some talks about uh, progressive Christianity as well. But uh, here's here's where uh, I like to chip in because today it's such a popular notion uh, for young Christians. Uh, I'm talking about youth. I'm talking about young adults here uh, to embrace the progressive Christianity as we know today. Um, why is it so attractive? Well, I think uh, to answer the question of why, I think we, we have to first uh, look, look, 
look into uh, how are we going to answer the why, as if uh, why as in uh, what is causing it, what, what is the cause, what, what is the cause which brings about the effect. And, uh, and secondly, we have to talk about, or from the second perspective, we have to talk about uh, you know, the intention as, as to why, you know, uh, why, why does God allow evil things to happen? You know, there's the, there's the intention behind. I think I'll go with the first. I think the, the cause for the effect that we see today is definitely human depravity. Let's not, let's not forget that. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely uh, human depravity. Uh, even, even among churches, you know, as, as some people have always said, the greatest enemy of the church is not from outside the walls of the church, but it's from within the church. And this is very true, right? Because like all that we've, we have mentioned earlier, we see, we see a lot of all this uh, packaging which, which the liberal Christian uses, you know, to make, it look, to make it look biblical. But in actual fact, it's actually subpar. So what happens? How, how does this tie into uh, depravity? Now, for the, for the simple reason, okay, because uh, with the depraved humans, okay, with depraved humans, we basically take all that God has given to us, we twist it, and we use it for our very own agenda. Why? Because, you know, we want to use it for our very own gains, which, to which Paul, uh, Apostle Paul, tells Timothy, uh, you know, in, in, the last, in, in the last days, there will be people, you know, who have form of godliness, which is, which is just outward in appearance. You know, they might, they, they take God's word as well. They take God's word very seriously as well. But the problem with taking God's word seriously for them is that they define what God's word is talking about instead of allowing God to define what God himself is speaking through Christ Jesus and his apostles through to, to the epistles which has been handed down to all of us. So the point of all this is that depravity is still at the center of the issue. So to deal with all these things, you know, to answer the question why, we should never leave out uh, this equation. And the solution to all this, okay, the, so the solution to all this is really the gospel and the gospel alone, is it? It's the gospel that really matters because the gospel is the only one that can cure this depravity. The gospel is the only one that gives, a, that gives us a new worldview. You know, it doesn't just adjust here and there. It doesn't give us a minor tweak. It doesn't give us a, a minor a dental, you know, like it doesn't give us a feeling, feeling like how, you know, dent, a dentist do to your teeth here and there. But it's, it changes your whole disposition from inside out you see so that's that's to the first why and as to the second why intention uh, I, I believe it's heavily tied to the sec the first reason depravity you know with their with their depraved minds with their depraved being the only thing they would want to do is to feed this disposition and to be filled with it so what what do they do they just continue expound on it. They live by it. They and they they just butcher everything up for for their own pleasure, and that is not that is not new in and of itself. Uh, I think we have to get that straight. That is not new in and of itself because, like I mentioned earlier, Paul 
was already uh, dealing with all, all these sorts of uh, people. Uh, yes, it comes with a different package, but the underlying principle is still the same. The underlying principle is still the same. So all this that they are doing, it's primarily just to feed their disposition, you know, to feel good about things. Springboarding from what Sunday had mentioned about human depravity. I mean, the scriptures also says it very nicely. Uh, the reason why we preach the word in, in, in season and out of season, uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, <clears throat> for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So <clears throat> one of the reasons why it's so popular to, uh, sorry, let me try that again. So one of the reasons why it's so popular or so easy to uh, follow progressive Christianity is because it's the in thing. It's always the in thing. And the reason why it's the in thing, because actually it's exactly what their sinful side would want. You know, and when you get big names like uh, like uh, musicians and 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 actors and actresses and social media influencers, and then you have filters which promote certain uh, certain lifestyles and certain uh, and certain uh, moral uh, moral disposition moral dispositions, all these things become very popular to stand up and to uh, or to be part of, and rather than being judged according to the truth that is in sound doctrine that is in that is in the gospel they actually get applauded and say, yeah, you know, it's nice. It's, it's the right thing to do because why? Because it feels good. But feeling good is not necessarily the truth. You see? So uh, that's one of the reasons why it's, it's becoming so popular. The other reason also, I might, okay, so after, after expressing what's going on in the canvas, let's look at the remedy of it and see what's wrong. The, one of the reasons why we seem to not be attracting the truth towards these towards this generation is because, well, they uh, was simply because well we tend to uh, compromise, we tend to accommodate, we will we will meet them halfway, and when we meet them halfway, they will end up saying, oh, okay, if part of what you say is only part of what you say is true, that means part of what you say is false. If part of what you say is false, that means your place is entirely not entirely untrue. You know, so they will throw that philosophy at us and be like, oh, okay, you know. So therefore, even giving just a slight permission, uh, or a compromise on the on the holiness of God. The standards which is which we're required to to live on by grace, uh, that the moment we falter from holding on to that standard, everything else will go in will go to pieces. Yeah, so there, there that's where the problem comes in, isn't it? It's like, um, you know, we we wanted something that seeks to answer stuff. We wanted something that that seems to be. Um, that will provide us the contentment of answers, but here's the same time we wanted something good. It's it's just something good. It goes back to the depravity of human being, as uh, Cernan would say. And out of that, we also have a lot of stuff that seems to be so appealing, seems to be so humanistic, uh, fresh, innovative, like uh, how we begin to accept feminism, uh, LGBTQ ideologies, or even uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, something on Roe versus Wade, 
And for somebody you may be asking, what is what the heck is Roe versus Wade is basically uh, something to do with abortion. And also we talk about critical race theory. It's, I mean, we never heard these things uh, for about 30, 30, 40 years ago and not until somewhere in the 80s, um, you know, these things began to be so popularized and it's just started to swipe into the church and the church began to be so divided today uh, with these topics. Um, we are also pressured to take sides with any given parties, but here's the thing, when it comes to being a Christian, uh, how do we actually stand for God's truth to prevail uh, in the midst of this divisions, in the midst where subjectivity, relativism uh, is a thing? Well, let me, uh, let me segue a little bit on, onto the side first. This is where politics and theology becomes very important, okay? Now, I'm not going to blame one side or the other in the recent elections and campaigns in the United States of America. Both are equally wrong. Both are bad, okay? All right? And people, and, and people may, and when people look at the current administration and say, how is it that they can do all these things and yet still be called Christian? The answer is there's progressive Christianity in its fullest manifestation. You really can't tell. It's really, really hard. But the reason why they are pushing for it to say that this is Christian, they might, you know, it's one thing to say this is moral. You know, you can have a moral opinion. It's one thing to say, that, you know, that this is the this is the right thing to do for, either as an administration or as a government, no problem. But the political uh, atmosphere in the United States especially insists that this is Christian. Why? Because they know that religion is still the one thing that resonates and draws right from the heart in order to get support. You see? So on one side, these guys, although they are, they, although they are, they are basing their beliefs on very unbiblical and doctrinally erroneous, uh, erroneous uh, foundations, because they are such good presenters, such good acting. I don't know even know. I don't even know another word for it. You know, a good presenter in that sense, they then can really display as if it's true. Now, by contrast, uh, you get the other side of the camp, which people may assume that I am from, but I'm not even American, so I don't. Even, I can't even hold a position. Okay, I well, I, uh, but what I would say is this: there are these people on the other side of the camp that would say, uh, they will say that, oh, all this is wrong, you know, this is the right thing to do. But they end up getting themselves caught literally with their pants down in corruption, in affairs, in slews of conspiracy, in slews of morally degenerating, uh, morally degenerating business, uh, business models and approaches to a point where it says, huh, by your, to which then the other side will say, by your own standards, you have failed. So both are wrong. Okay, so don't get me right. So don't get me wrong. Both sides are very wrong. Theologically, what then is what then can we say about this? It's what Sinan said is correct. Whether you choose one side or the other, there will always be one thing that we will always have to wrestle with, and that is this: in uh, the very core of humanity is sin and evil. So, as the moment they, the moment anyone, any Christian, don't care from which camp that you are from, you take a moral high ground. Get ready to fall to pieces because. That's not where we. That's not where we can actually stand. 
what we can stand on is on the righteousness in Christ, which then displays our lives of how we should live it by grace, so that when we know that we have failed, we can come back to the Father and say, forgive me, O Father, for I have sinned. Please let me try again in Jesus. You see? So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so regards to, so regards to, like, Seeing why is it that on both sides of the, of the spectrum, we see Christianity being torn in that way. Well, allow me to give you, allow me to give you a, a, a red pill moment. What if both sides of the spectrum is not even Christian? Because both sides of the spectrum will say that this is Christian only because it's more, it morally looks good and not because of the gospel. So if we go back on to the gospel, if you go back on to say on, on saying that if we assume that Jesus Christ is Lord and requires us to repent of our sins and confess in faith and be adherent and obedient to his sovereign will, uh, then we'll have a very different makeup altogether and a very different argument. Yeah, people, that's how that's how you engage uh, with uh, liberal Christians. You I think we have to get back to the gospel, like what Mark mentioned. I think, and we, which is uh, one of the things that might be helpful for all of us is to really know God's word, brothers and sisters, really. We have to know God's word. We have to know what the gospel is. And we have to be really sharp on our, on, on our knees, or on our toes, sorry. On our, yeah, we have to always be on our toes and always be ready to defend the gospel, one, and to be able to discern errors. Because one of the things for all of us today, you see, and like what Mark mentioned from the election campaign that just recently happened, from the right wing, from the right wing, okay, uh, we have the appeal to moral uprightness, you see, which, which makes, you know, which, which causes, or I mean, at, at least they hope, it causes people to think they are a better candidate whether or not they are, they are a better candidate, uh, that's a different story altogether, which we will not uh, discuss since it's not uh, today's topic. And then on the other side, okay, uh, on, on the left, okay, we, have the, we have the appeal of a moral high ground okay, where, where, they seem, where, where they seem so much better you know, in terms of their acting you, or with, with, uh, like, like what some would say a theoretical... Uh, theoretical theatrical eloquence, right? Simply because look at uh, what happened re in in the recent months. Uh, we have we we have the uh, we have the death of George Floyd, you know, which made them look look like a saint, you know. We which in actual fact, uh, you know, which in actual fact seems to give a different story, lah, right? Because uh, rioting and looting your neighbors' uh, items aren't. You know, isn't quite a very isn't quite a morally sound act act to do. So, so so there we have it. We have uh, you know one side, you know, coming up with good policies, and then the other side making themselves look good in light of the current situation. So, in light of all these things, you see, we have to we have to know the gospel, and we have to, and that is why, uh, again, uh, this is where we become a bit more practical for if you are a pastor and you're listening to this right we encourage you to 
continue to be faithful, you know, in doing what you are doing, to shepherd God's people in light of God's word. Teach God's word faithfully, right? Teach God's word faithfully. And if you ever have any doubts about certain certain things that you are teaching, you know, or, or even certain questions, question of the faith, you know, or regarding, especially regarding God's word, right? Because let's face it, God's word is not this, the easiest thing to wrestle with, right? Look for friends, look for partners, look for, look for partners in the gospel ministry because we are all here to help one another out, out right? Yes, we might, we might differ in terms of soteriology and the age-old fight that never ends until Jesus returns. But one thing we all have in common nonetheless is the gospel at which Paul proclaimed in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, right? That Christ came and died in accordance to scripture and was raised again on the third day, you know, that we might have hope. So, so and if you're a lay leader, right, listening to this, right, I encourage you to, you know, to support your pastors in, in the gospel ministry because let me tell you this, okay, uh, speaking from experience, which I believe Mark will be able to testify as well, uh, there's a lot of pressure on your pastor's shoulder. There's a lot of it on your pastor's shoulders. And, and one thing that can really help them, right, is to really support them. You know, uh, be involved in ministry. You know, teach, you know, be involved in discipling people alongside with your pastors. You know, and, you know, and if you are able to uh, take up teaching, small teaching positions, like maybe as a cell group leader or even as a, or even as a you know, Sunday school, uh, Sunday school teacher. That will that will help your that will help the landscape very much. Yes, it's not going to, uh, it's not going to click immediately like, you know, like like an like an on off switch like uh from from an from an off from a from the switch like okay uh bad liberal theology and straight away on to a good biblical biblical Bible believing Christians. Uh, it's 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 not going to happen over time. So. So all this has has to take place in order for the landscape to change, in order for, uh, you know, for people to be transformed. And it takes time. And at the meantime, okay, for everyone, be engaged. Uh, when I say be engaged, I, I don't mean to just go Facebook and argue with people all day long. That's the, I think that's the least fruitful way of engagement be, when I say be and engage, when I say engage with people, what I mean was talk to people, share ideas, and share your faith with them, and see how and see how your faith, okay, which is the gospel, uh, can answer some of their some of their deepest concerns in life, and ultimately, of course, point them to human depravity, the need of a savior, and the hope that we have through our resurrected. Savior, that is Christ Jesus. There's a very famous article over at thegospelcoalition.org, which I highly recommend anyone to read it. And that is the testimony of an of a of a homosexual individual who found who found Christ not in any progressive Christianity setup where they say anything goes. Uh, he because the homosexual came from an environment where anything goes, right? 
but he found a Bible-believing Christian community, not in a church, but they were they are part of a church cell group in a cafe. And they were just reading their Bibles and looking at what the scripture says. And when he goes up to them and say, what does the scripture say about homosexuality? To which then they were, to which they was they spoke by conviction to say, hey, uh, uh, this uh, we uh, the scriptures call it an abomination. It is a sin. It is a notable sin. It is a forgivable sin, but it is still a sin. And to which then the intuition homosexual said he really appreciated the truth that they're willing to share without without uh, without any sugarcoating. Because why? That's what true loving people do. True loving people do not sugarcoat truth so that you so that we may swallow it nicely. True loving people will actually tell the truth full. Uh, uh, in his in his whole, so that we may wake up from the denial of life which he has so had lived in, and uh, did not uh, and found it and found to be awoke, awakened by the into the into the new reality of the gospel life, and he became a Christian in it. But uh, 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 after a while of being in fellowship of that group, you see, um, for pastors who are out there. You know, and those who are supporting and loving their pastors, we appreciate you for to continue to have that relationship. Um, please understand that every pastor in every church is called to be part of the steadfast love of God. What that what does that mean? It means that not only does God's love, the potency is not only is the potency of God's love unchanging, but his method of loving also is unchanging. And so if he sets a standard, we need to be able to be obedient to it and know that once we that once you fail, his grace is sufficient to save us so that you may step up again. Yeah, you step 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 up again into, into God's light. Okay, so the thing right now I'm gonna ask is what are your thoughts of the emerging Christian movement that believes in critical race theory? That is, the law and legal institutions are predominantly racist. And saying that race is not something biological, but something that has been socially constructed and used uh, by those who are white for more social and economic gain. So when I hear this, uh, it sounds very much like a conspiracy theory to me. But what does the church? What are the churches stand on this? The church looks at critical race theory, and in the, and in the end, they will draw the line in the sand and be able to say, okay, they are for it or against it. Uh, anyone who anyone who looks at critical race theory in light of the gospel will find that critical race theory not only is it uh, it comes to not only is it does it seem to be very uneloquent and not and not only does it seem to be very much uh, a, a very biased study actually critical race theory if you apply it three thousand years ago in the likes of India and the caste system, uh, that is, to, to them, that's not critical theory. That's just business. That's just day-to-day -day business. So there's really nothing new. Uh, so with that being nothing new, critical race theory actually ends up becoming a very unnecessary argument to the very principle to which God has called us to, to has called us to live, to care for those who are not as well off as any as any of us. So it doesn't give the right for a person who is marginalized to yell out and shout out their rights because they're marginalized. 
where they because why you may actually find a lot of people in the majority group, whichever majority group it is, and you will find them to be actually very much lacking, even much, even maybe more than a marginalized person. To which then the marginalized person may be called by the gospel to help their neighbor. The good Samaritan was a marginalized person, but because he had money and because he had the means, he helped the majority person so that he may so, so that he may come from death to life. You know, so critical race theory, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, is not is not that we are going against it. No, black the black lives do not matter. No, we are saying that black and white and yellow and brown and beige, all these lives matter, including white, which in some places they are also marginalized. They are also very much discriminated. We need to be. Uh, we need to be true to the gospel and being true to the gospel and meaning to love everyone unequivoc unequivocally without, but without any bias either for or against a minority or majority will actually make us the better and more colorblind community than what BLM and the rest and critical theory could ever propose. Whoa, I think Mark just struck a chord on, on the liberals, all lives matter. Which is quite ironic if you think about it, because you know they, they're always claiming Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. No, all lives matter. You are not getting the point. I think one, the first thing first, what they are denying, okay, what they are really denying is the reality of sin in each individual. Now, because one from from, I mean, basically, right, critical race theory is saying, right, white people are inherently racist. I think, well, to a certain extent, while that is true, uh, because of original sin, okay, because of original sin. Now, they are actually, you know, so in light of that, you see, they are claiming that without, without seeing much of what happens in the other side of the world. Look at Malaysia, for, for instance. You know, they, they claim, right, that there, is, there are things like systematic racism all over, but I think they, they've not gone to other parts of the world to witness what systematic racism really is. And now, now, while I'm not, I'm, not saying it, I'm not saying it never happened in America, it did at one point of time, okay? But comparing America and Malaysia, right? I think if, if, if any BLM were to come and witness it, I think they would, you know, really experience it firsthand. And I think secondly, to say only white white people are inherently racist, I think they've not they, they've not uh, met or encountered any uh, Malaysian Chinese yet. Right? Think about it. I mean, they can call any X Y Z person a ghost. You know, we have we have uh, all all sorts of ghosts in Malaysia, and I I, I will refrain from saying uh, I will refrain from saying it uh, simply because uh, it's rude. You know, to say all those names. Now, the point being all this is, it's not just one particular race that is racist. We have to admit, we have to come to the conclusion that because of original sin, all men are inclined to sin, right? It's not just any particular race, you see, not just any particular group. And this is where critical race theory is, and this is where us Christians, we have to draw the line with critical race theory to, 
to claim to because to claim only certain groups are racist it's it's outrageous right it's outrageous and you are you are simply denying the reality of sin in every indi- individual uh, human being that ever lived in in the face of this world like we, like we've been talking about throughout this whole conversation everyone is inclined towards sinfulness and not just not just a, not just white people in america i mean even chinese in in malaysia you know if you if you've uh, lived long enough in malaysia you will see all kinds of depravity that happens in day to day to day malaysia malaysia uh, malaysian life so if you want racism go ahead and look at the day to day jokes that malaysians give to each other and on one side yes maybe perhaps we need to be careful with what we say but also we also have to be careful as to how we receive it you see so and if you want to look at racism you know don't just look at malaysia in fact malaysia is a is a melting pot of diversity of diversity in the midst in the midst of our strain of the strains that we are having with each other it's fine you compare that to syria you compare that to 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 even if i dare say israel slash palestine what is going on over there it's not even an issue of religion anymore it's actually an issue of race it's an issue of of who has majority say over another who is who is majority over the other no one really knows because why in the other day we are all human beings you know and we just and this is no longer a a rights issue is actually a reconciliation issue, which is what the gospel is calling us to do at the very core. We are called, uh, the core ministry of Jesus Christ is reconciliation. So I find critical, the likes of critical theory, BLM is actually adding more strain to the ministry of reconciliation than it actually gives uh, clarity. There, I've said it. But it's interesting that both of you brought up uh, BLM because uh, uh, that was going to be my next question. So basically, uh, when you say all lives matter, there are a lot of Christians who they get really furious with it. They said, what do you mean all lives matter? So are you trying to say that blacks have not been oppressed uh, in the past? So my when I look at it, it's like, yes, there has been oppression in the past. There is racism everywhere, not only in the States or in the UK, but also in Asia. There's, racism comes in many shapes, sizes, and forms. But the thing is, uh, there are Christians who are saying that we need to stand up to this oppression because, yes, there are people who are being oppressed in the States, but which I say, yes, racism is always there. But then there are other people who are saying that uh, Mainly, and this is from the black it's themselves who say the main racism comes from within the black community saying that it's black on black. So now as Christians hearing these kind of squabbles and arguments, how do we then make a stand, like a clear distinction when someone says, no, it's not all lives matter. When you say all lives matter, you're, you're actually discounting the fact that something actually did happen. So, yeah. Yeah, again, you know, I, I mean, as speaking as Christian, okay, I think I, I would really point people, I would really point them back to original sin. I think that's, that's one of the key doctrines which we have to acknowledge, or, or original sin. You see, the reason 
why we have to ask why is there even racism in the first place? What even instilled racism? Now we we have to acknowledge, okay, that it has always been there. You know, we have it has always been there. What 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 some of the Christians to what some of our fellow brothers and sisters today are doing and have fallen into the trap of doing is to take one small period of time, all right? And when I say small, I am I'm speaking in terms of small, smaller relatively to many other periods. They're taking one small period of time and using that as a foundation. And they're using that as, a, as the final authority and the only lens which they look through. You know, and that's why, you know, when, when that happens and when someone says, all lives matter, of course they would get furious. Why? Because their main authority, their whole worldview has been shaped by just that period of time altogether alone. And however, the biblical worldview is this, right? All have sinned. That is why, you see, that is why Christ came to save all sorts of sinners, right? including oppressors, include, including people like myself, Mark, Ruby, and Ezra. And of course, we, we can add on many more categories into that. So, so to, to put all these things together, right, to put all these things together, if we are going to be Christian about, uh, about all these Black Lives Matter matters and or whether or not all lives matter, I think to, to be a consistent Christian, I think we have to say all lives uh, do matter. Yes, but, while, but when we say all lives matter, we are not denying some of the realities that happen in certain periods of time, right? We never said that there, there, was, there was no such assertion. And which is why uh, the role of emotions here really play a part. Uh, you know, rhetor uh, emotional rhetorics that played a huge part in, uh, in, in the lives of young people today, especially through social media, you know, where they, where they post up provocative videos and provocative uh, messages, provocative captions, you know, which engages on the emotional side of things. Which is where which can be very dangerous because it because at the end of the day it will get that person looking, thinking, and living through that certain worldview, and that and that alone is infallible compared to many other things. And speaking of liberal Christianity, and and this is where things and this is where things uh, start uh, going down the drain. They will they will start interpreting God's word with the very specific worldview and lens they adopt from, you know, that is foreign to scripture. And that's how liberal Christianity starts. Or, I, or should I say, that's how liberal Christianity sprout, grow, and take root. As a gospel, as a gospel solution to the matter, um, I like the way uh, Michael Ramsden, the current president of RZIM, he actually put it this way. A person, okay, especially a Christian in any scenario or, or situation can call for this minority, uh, this minority rights. 
Because why? In any and every setting, you can definitely see for sure that that person, by virtue of being a Christian, in an, uh, uh, will end up being a minority in most cultural settings, especially if you're evangelical, believes the Bible, believes the Bible is, is infallible, inerrant, you know, you end up becoming a minority and you can actually raise your hand and say, hey, you know, Christian lives matter. Why do we not do that? It's because we see the way Christ used his life to see what matters. Christ gave it while, while the community, sorry, while the world is saying that their own individual lives matter, Christ, whose life only, whose life is the only one that mattered, gave it up so that we may actually find a new life in him. So the gospel approach to this is in the face of demanding rights, we therefore talk about what is right and display the heart of charity. Okay, so now the next one would be on um, the pride movement, the LGBTQ+. So there are a lot of Christians who are saying that it's okay to accept when I, and when I say accept the LGBTQ plus movement, uh, it means that whatever they are doing, it means everything that they're doing should be accepted by the church because they are also people, they also have needs and wants. And in my point of view is that everyone should be treated with respect, but whatever the sin, we, of course, we try to address it in a safe manner. And now Christians are coming really hard on uh, basically saying that, oh, you know, in the Old Testament, we have to stone the um, those who are gays and lesbians. And it's that it was in the past. It was written for that time. And that time they didn't know better. But right now, in because we are, you know, progressive, we should be very understanding that they are also human. They also have feelings. So how do you speak to someone who is from that mindset? Now, I think it is important for us to uh, define our terms, okay? Now, when, when we say accept, I think, okay, uh, I, I, I could be wrong on this. When we use the word accept, I think there's a few degrees of accept which we use, okay? Like, for, for example, I accept some, uh, I accept Mark's, uh, Mark's invitation to be his friend, you know, in that sense, you see, we, we, there, there's a mutual acceptance, you know, where we, agree to become friends, you know, and, and we build on it. And, and then there's another form of accept, meaning uh, we let them be, okay? We let them be and we outrightly say, oh, he can live all his life as and, as and how he likes it. Like it, I'm, I'm not going to bother it. So there's the second type of accept. And where there's third type of accept, in a sense, you know, where we live in a quote-unquote a, f a world with free choices, okay? Where we live in a world with free choices, where we accept them in a sense where we, where they can do what they want without our, without our, you know, without our act of uh, suppressing them, like, you know, like enforcing them, say, hey, you are not supposed to do this. Uh, if you do this, we're, we're going to throw you into jail. That kind of acceptance, okay? So, when, when we say a Christian ought to accept, okay, uh, I hope, okay, I hope, I very well hope we are at the third category, you know, where we, 
you know, where they are, where we are, you know, where we, in a sense, accept them for their behavior. But at the same time, okay, we ought to be brave enough, okay, we ought to be brave enough to, to bring the gospel to them and to help them see their dire need. And like what, uh, and like, like the article which Mark brought up earlier, you know, that person, that, that person appreciated the Christian friend Raybach for, you know, for bringing, for, for bringing the fact up, the, the, for bringing to the person the fact that, you know, all this is sinful, you see. And, be, and especially as Christians, you know, if we sincerely and if we truly believe all that God's word has said, and if we sincerely hold on to all of God's revelation given to us, Okay, if we are going, if we are, and if we are going to fall into the second category of acceptance, you know, where we let them be what 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 they want to be without any form of, without any form of restraint or or without any form of, uh, you know, telling them what's right or what's wrong, I think we have to really uh relook into, re relook into our Christianity like uh like what was mentioned earlier, because. Because one of the commands which Christ gave us, okay, is to make the go forth, make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I, meaning Jesus, has, all that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus said all things, okay, he, you know, he means all things, including all, in, including all that's being taught in the Old Testament, not just any nitpicking. Uh, not just any nitpicking Bible study session where, where you pick what you like and you, uh, you know, share on what you think someone else would enjoy hearing. To Sunan's response, I just wholeheartedly agree and echo the simple fact that we are called to teach the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God is actually, it's not just a rule book. It is actually, it is actually a, uh, a theological, philosophical uh, mindset of living. So there is an emotional, there's an emotional and and truth. Uh, there's an emotional journey of truth that you have to go through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You can't just pick one verse and then leave it as that, and, and and then leave it as that. Okay, both to the legalist and to the liberal, that's just not that just cannot be done. You know, it's almost like going to your mom. It's, it's almost like hearing your mom, uh, and you only hear the part that you like. Say, okay, I can eat ice cream. But you don't. But you refuse to accept the other half of the sentence. Is you may eat ice cream provided you eat all your vegetables. You see, so there is a whole setting to which then Jesus is calling us to not deny. In fact, Jesus is not an iota will leave. You see, from the word of God. Uh, so therefore, we need to be faithful to the whole council. But let me take one. Let me take it a different angle because I've spoken on this topic before. And my commendation and my exhortation to which I am only I, I'm worthy to only speak to is towards the church. While the Christian, while the community or the LGBTQ community is asking us to accept them in spite of the gospel, the church inadvertently is denying them the gospel from the front door. This I feel that we need to address. So let's say, for example, I have a couple that comes into the main hall. Non-believers, newcomers, it's Christmas. They wanted they saw that you have a very awesome Christmas play. Let me they want to go and see. 
what do we do? Well, the ushers will welcome them, get to know them, ask them to come and join, uh, come and join us for the for the uh, for the watch night service or for the New Year's Day service or to get to know a cell group or a live group. You know, leave your contact. We want to get to know you so we can sh share the gospel even further for you. You know, if that was a straight couple, that's the welcome that they get. The red carpet welcome, al join Alpha, etc., etc. The moment we become gay. The moment it's a gay couple, how then do we treat them? And this is me echoing towards the church, guys. We 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 have this double standard which automatically, oh, by by the decree of the word of God, I must kick them out. Wait, what? Wait a minute. Hang on. What? No. You welcome them, you get to know them, you let them know, hey, this is how uh, hey, uh uh come and hear the gospel, be redeemed. It's more, it's more than just your lifestyle. It's about your eternal life. And then when after a moment of relationship building, you actually, and they ask the question, does that mean that God, uh, it doesn't mean that God hates a particular side of my life. However you answer that question, I know for a fact that after, the, after, uh, after some time of relationship development, the truth will be accepted plainly as the truth and not with any sexist insinuations. So church, we need to review as to how we approach them with the gospel. I'm not saying to invite them to leadership. I'm not saying them to, to, to make them become pastors and so on, so because the Bible has a very clear decree on, the, on these sort of qualifications. But that doesn't deny them the right of the gospel, which I feel the church is doing it's just kicking, which, which I feel that the church is not giving to them even at the front door. Oh, well, it was a good discussion after all. And uh, too bad we've come to an end. But the rest of our listeners, if you have any thoughts, if you have any questions, uh, drop them drop them on the comment section or personally write to us, uh, especially on this particular topic on progressive Christianity, uh, liberalism. Uh, something that may, whichever may struck you today. Yes, write to us. Also, follow us on Instagram at Explain Conversation. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and like our Facebook page, Explain Apologetics. Thanks for tuning in with us and we'll see you again for the next episode.